It's gorgeous out. Let's pop some dots. This is the Updog Podcast, a blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts, Tyler Beaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske, chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies. Welcome back to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast, and we have another awesome guest lined up for today's show. Before we do that, though, we always do our intros. So first, my name is Tyler Beeden, one of your hosts, and I am joined by my esteemed co-hosts, the Rooster Assassin and Mud Motor Maestro himself, Jeff Ludicky, and the Mississippi Riverboat Gambler, Matt Jeske. What's up, fellas? Crushed it that time. That was it, perfect. That was better? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Third good. time's a charm. Took three weeks, so you got it. Or, <laughs> hey, okay. Okay. To be in the Hall of Fame for Major League Baseball, if you're a 300 hitter, you're good. Okay, that's it. Yep. I'm gonna say. I like it. I like the math. One for three. One for three. Yep. One for three. All right, let's let's get into the next portion of the show, which is Jeff. What are you drinking tonight? I have a feeling I'm not the only one drinking beer tonight. I'm gonna wait for the other person, but uh, I'm still have the third space Oktoberfest going. Same one I had last week. Okay. Okay. You're still a favorite that one, for this time of year. I am. It's one of my favorites. How many cans are left in the fridge? Well, I just bought some more uh, yesterday at the grocery store. So I got plenty. Don't worry. Okay. All right. Excellent. When you only have one or two a week, it takes a little while to get to a 12 patch. That's true. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Matt, are you on the water train tonight like I am? I am. Any hydration packets or anything mixed in? Anything fancy? Not today. No. No. All right. Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and introduce our 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 guest tonight. I would guess we'll we'll be able to ask him the same question, figure out what he's having. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have on Keegan Cadell. Uh, you have probably seen some of this stuff if you're on Instagram and you follow hunting, outdoor, uh, nature photography. I'll let him give his Instagram handle so I don't screw it up here. He is a professional photographer, videographer. Keegan, is that right? Is that, is that your so what's on your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, I mean it's that's close enough for me. Okay. okay. Excellent. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, awesome. So what are we drink? What are you drinking? What's what's on the table there? Please tell nice. me you have a beer, not water. Nice staple of bush light. Nice. Oh, we're real classy here. A latte. I like the pink koozie too. That's that's classy. Yeah. Um gotta gotta stay with my crush. Um crush merchandise i like you it know, i'll be all filming right. them for most of the fall so rep them when i can nice very nice excellent that this make, feels that good i i think it aside from the first episode this is probably the only other episode where somebody else was drinking a beer so this this is good I, we're off to a good start here i'm here for you <laughs> thanks keegan we'll have keegan. you on again sometime yeah. <laughs> keegan is uh team team jeff over here I don't uh, care how bad this episode is. You're coming back on <laughs> so I can have a drinking buddy on the show. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So we're going to, we're going to get into the photography stuff. Like we want to get there obviously, because if um, people have seen your stuff, you, there's, you have a lot of dog centered content, mm -hmm. um, which is near and dear to our hearts. Uh, but first give us some background. Just where, like, where did you grow up? How did you get into the outdoors hunting? Some of that stuff. So I grew up in Door County, 
Um, and that, you know, obviously if you've ever been here, we're in between the Bay of Green Bay and Lake Michigan. So fishing was near and dear, you know, grew up every opportunity we got. If the wind blew out of the east, we were on the bay. If the wind blew out of the west, we were on the lake. And then uh, always grew up hunting, fishing. You know, deer hunting was huge. Goose hunting was huge. We've actually got, you know, 100 acres behind the house that we've got a pit blind in. And I was a goose nut for early season all growing up. Oh, my dad was a sheriff's deputy. We'd get ready, go out in the morning, set the decoys up. He'd hunt till he had to go to work. And then I'd sit and hunt until, you know, either I fell by limit or they were done flying for the day. So waterfowl's always been my, been my jam. And then I got tied into guiding fishing when I graduated high school. So I was running charter trips on the big lake for salmon. And then that tied into ice fishing in the wintertime while I was going to college. And eventually as time went on, I started hearing about Alaska, seeing stuff from there. And then eventually I went up and I guided fly fishing up in Alaska, which is how I got into photography, ironically enough, just trying to show people what I was seeing. You know, I can tell you about a grizzly bear at 10 yards till my, I'm blue in the face. But if I can show you a picture of a grizzly bear at 10 yards, you go, oh, that's what it looks like. So I just wanted to show my small town, you know, what I was doing in the world. And that's, you know, I named my business wildlife because not of what I was shooting, you know, I was seeing wildlife all over the place, but it was because of the wildlife that I was living and just wanted to show that off and then got hooked on photography and gave up the net, gave up the shotgun and I would just tote the camera around the country. That's, that's awesome. I have, I have a million questions I want to back up to. First one though was I've gone to Door County the last couple of years. Which mm -hmm. which community did you grow up in there? So I grew up in the southern part of it. Okay. So all the farm country, the rural, um, we've got all the fun stuff. Everybody else goes up north and plays tourist where we can find our own business, hunt and fish and do what we need to do. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And then how many years were you a, a guide in Wisconsin, charter boat and then ice fishing? So I ran the charter boats for five years. I think, I believe it was nine years total on the ice. Um, you know, I was up in Alaska guiding and then I would come back and would duck hunt all fall. And then once the ice hit, then I would guide ice fishing for several years until I started going down to Kansas and shooting photos with a waterfall outfitter down there. Okay. And then <clears throat> this, this is the one here. This may seem like a dumb question. However, how does one become a fly fishing guide in Alaska? Is that a job you apply for? Well, it's it's just like being a fishing guide anywhere else. Um, you know, there is definitely an application process. It was kind of kind of a unique experience just because it's so far away. It's so remote. You know, we'd be off the grid for five months, essentially. And I ended up getting hooked up with a guide school in Montana, just as like trying to find jobs like Googling stuff. None of these lodges like put ads out on Craigslist, like, hey, we're looking for somebody. So I was in looking. I found this guide school. I called them up because part of their stip was like references and lodges would call them for recommendations, basically. If people wanted to go to Alaska that had been through their school, you know, they would send 
those applicants to those lodges. And come to find out the school that I went to, and I didn't know this at the time, had lodges in Alaska. They were based out of Montana, but had several lodges in Alaska. Um, and when I went to that guide school in the middle of it, the manager from one of the lodges came up, interviewed me at the school and hired me right there on the spot. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And, that op- and that opened up like so many doors then. Yeah. I mean, once you get a foot in the door in Alaska and start to understand what's happening up there and see it and other lodges, like the sky's the limit up there. And what type of fish were you primarily targeting up there? So for the most part, fly fishing Alaska, Bristol Bay was where I was. So Southwest Alaska, like the main target species are rainbows, but we'll catch all of the other trout char species. So rainbows, Dolly Varden, Arctic char, grayling. Um, We target Northern Pike pretty heavy, which, you know, being from Wisconsin is right up my alley. Um, And then all five salmon species. We chased at some point in the season, depending on when the runs were. And then a whitefish variety called a she fish that basically looks like a mini tarpon, but they're super cool, super big, fight like a tarpon, run like a tarpon, and then eat like a whitefish. That sounds uh that sounds awesome. Yeah, I've never even I've never even heard of that fish. Yeah, most people haven't. Me neither. (laughs) This is why we do a hunting podcast. We don't do a, uh, we talk about dogs and shotguns. And (laughs) you start talking about fish, we're like, uh, we need Greg in here. (laughs) That's true. That is true. Um, Okay. So you got, so you got to Alaska. Did you own a camera when you got to Alaska? The first couple of years, I didn't know. So what, like, what led you to go buy a camera and what, what model, what, or like, what level of camera did you actually buy? So I had always been like, kind of interested in it. And before I had gone up there and finally just like taken the step, being around water was scary to me, you know, between fishing and hunting, you know, especially duck hunting, you know, I thought like I needed a waterproof camera. I, and we had grown up, everybody in, you know, that era of like the beginning of YouTube hunting TV shows wanted a YouTube channel. So like we filmed stuff with GoPros and different stuff. Me, my buddies, um, another buddy would edit everything. And like the end of the year, we had like a 15 minute video with some copyrighted music and like nothing fancy. But eventually that third year that I was going up, I, it was Christmas time. And I've said, I went to the Best Buy with one of my buddies and I was like, do not let me leave here without buying a camera. I don't care what it is. Just do not let me leave here. So I ended up buying a Nikon D3500, which is a like $560 camera with two kit lenses. Nothing fancy, but really, really was ended up being like what hooked me in photography, got me started, got me addicted and off we went that's that's cool i so i i think i still own a nikon d3300 um Mm -hmm. obviously i haven't done very much with it but that's you know your your entry level camera i think i bought it used actually so um it's cool it's i mean it's like i think that it feels like there's a lot of people that pick up a camera now like amateur photographers and they pick up a camera they want to become like a photographer um 
it feels like that like that level of camera is is what they pick up initially i don't know if you would oh, agree or disagree with that a good camera. for sure yeah matt do you is that, uh, is that what you have good camera yeah we well one of ours is an icon d3300 with a couple of lenses that we've collected and then eventually on one of our trips we went we wanted a little better lens and ended up with like a tamron like extended lens i think when we mm -hmm. went to the tetons and yellowstone for one of those trips i mean it's a good camera for that price point it was like kind of a um like kelly's entry level camera um you can take some good pictures of it though yeah. oh absolutely yeah some of my favorite pictures i've ever taken came off of that camera and are my cameras that I shoot with now are four times more expensive. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, so you pick up this camera, like you just start, you start playing with it, then you just start taking pictures of, I mean, there's a lot of grizzly bears. They give a lot of pictures of grizzly bears, which is frightening to me, uh, very frightening. I don't know how close you have actually been, but um, I'm, a, I'm a little terrified of bears, so. Uh, like you just start taking pictures of bears and start posting them and then you just start gaining notoriety following like what how does that process work so i had bought that camera in 2019 um, right at that point i was switching lodges from where i had been um, i got an opportunity to head guide at a lodge called brooks which is if you've ever seen a bear stand on top of a waterfall catching a salmon that like iconic alaska so I was the head guide at that lodge where that falls is. Um, and it was mainly for fly fishing and just there's some really good fishing on the lakes there and we'd gear fish and do a whole ton of other stuff. But that lodge just being in where it was, I decided that I was gonna spend way too much money, upgrade some cameras um, and just make sure that I had everything that I needed when I went up there to do everything that I could possibly do. So a lot of the grizzly bear pictures from that first, and the, technically they're brown bears, but they're kind of the same thing, just location-based. Um, so a lot of those bear pictures that I took were just because I was addicted to taking pictures. You know, you couldn't get a camera out of my hands. I have a little, if you've ever seen pictures of me with cameras on, I have a little like chest rig, it's called a cotton carrier, that my camera just lives on. So like I could guide fishermen, or I could guide photographers, walk through the river, help them do all the things that I needed to do. And my camera just lived on my chest. So every single opportunity I got to snap a picture, I was taking pictures of whatever I possibly could. Now with all those encounters with, with brown bears, you have, you have to have a couple sketchy stories, I would imagine, right? Are there, are there any stories that stick out in your mind that you'd be comfortable talking about with those in bear encounters? You know, I never had anything that would be that that I would qualify as super bad. Okay. The normal society would qualify as like, oh my God, what in the hell is wrong with you? I'd be within a hundred yards and that would be sketchy for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the majority of the time we were 75 to 50 yards from those bears. Um, legally in that area, um, you have to stay within with or outside of 50 yards. Um, just because there are so many bears that are running around what's called the developed area. It's a mile circle around Brooks Falls, and that's where our lodge was and some other buildings. Um, you had to stay outside of 50 yards, and especially in the river, that was pertinent because 
say we're fly fishing and that bear's a hundred yards upstream, if that bear starts to get closer and closer and now you're within 50 yards and you've hooked a fish and that bear happens to get that fish, now you've taught a bear that fishermen equal food. So everything there is how we can do our best to let the bears be bears, but also still how people can visit that area can fish that area and just inhabit that area. So there's a lot of rules that way. But I mean, you talk about close calls and being up. I've had cubs sniff my shoes and mom was 15 yards behind them looking at me, watching to see if something was going to go funny. I've had wow. bears chasing other bears. Like right as we got, client and I were about to step on the bank and walk up a trail. And every trail, there's a bear trail at some point. So they're using them constantly. And I just heard something funny. I stopped, I grabbed my client and just as he's about to, and like a 900 pound bear comes running past. We kind of step, take a couple steps back. We look at each other and goes, man, that was close. And then a bigger bear comes running past. It was chasing it down there. And if we would have been on that, you know, they're not going to stop. They don't care. That yeah. smaller bear was running from the bigger bear because that thing was going to kick its ass. And little old me and my client were not gonna, not gonna even let that bear blink twice. Yeah, that's wild. I gotta imagine you're allowed to carry a sidearm though. I'd say what right? precautions are you? You have bear spray. You have a sidearm. What do you What do you have while you're ten feet away from these bears? Just bear spray. That's it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for me, like what we were doing, and you know, I'm in the water every single day for five months. That's a lot of opportunity to wreck a really nice gun or even a shitty gun. Like, and if it's to me, if that gun is not in your hand, it's essentially useless. Like that everything's so thick there. I mean, you've been in the woods, even here, like you think about a bear coming up. If you've ever encountered a black bear on accident, walking up, they're so quiet. You don't know they're there until it's there. Well, Bear spray, you can pop that off and you can fire it and it's a wide enough cone. With a handgun, unless it's in your hand, the time it would take you to draw from a place that that gun's not going to get wrecked every second you step in the water, you know, so typically it's a chest rig, the guys that carry. Well, by the time you get it here and then you're here, like, okay, if the bear yeah, wanted to, where, you know, a lot of times I would have that bear spray on my hip and that bear spray can get wet. It's not an issue. And to be able to pop that safety and fire it if I needed to was a heck of a lot faster and a lot more consistent. Now, a bear's nose is very similar to a dog's where it's so ultra sensitive. And then I forget the number of how many times more sensitive it is to us. But if you've ever been around bear spray and got it in your nose, you're like delirious. You're throwing up. You're just angry like you can't function and then you have that much more sensitivity in a bear they're they lose their mind and i've seen a few get sprayed and did you ever have to use it i i only ever popped the safety off a couple times um you know and i only drew it a handful of times so i was knock on wood because i'm sure i'll be back um i was super fortunate all the times that i was up there We could, we could, I know this is, this is a like bird dog podcast. We could probably like spend an hour asking you more questions about your brown bear encounters. Get that right this time. Yeah. I am very fascinated right now. 
Well, we can we can always uh, revisit that now or later or a couple of years from now. Whatever you want to do. <laughs> I'm I'm uh, yeah. Although the the what you mentioned there that I would consider that very sketchy. Um, I know yeah. you're like yeah, it's not bad at all. Uh, if I'm like a foot away from a trail that a 900 pound bear is flying past on, and then a bigger bear is running past, there I may have made a deposit, you know, in my pan. So yeah, you're gonna yeah. need a change of shorts yes, for, for sure, sure. <laughs> for sure. And I'd be like, okay, uh, Keegan, uh, please take me home now. I do not feel safe. <laughs> yeah, and I, I time to change the underwear. I have had some clients that were like that, and we got in some situations where we were trying to follow the rules of being so far away it's kind of a dance the bears are just going up and down the river they're going up and down the trails and you try and like work around them it's like i know where i want to go i want to get to this fishing hole or this spot to take pictures depending on clients and what we're doing so like i'm trying to dance around them and we've gotten in some situations that we were like surrounded and it's just like well, guys, we're just going to stand here in this really thick brush. You, I know you can't see, but I know there's a bear over there and there and there. And, like, we're fine, but, like, we're kind of stuck. <laughs> and I've had some people freak out about that. I would I would be one of those. Mostly. I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to take, take, a, take a straw poll here. Um, so, uh, Jeff, Matt, are you thinking um, you're going to be, you're going to just wait that out and keep fishing? Or are you going to pull the plug and be like, get me out of here? Yeah, know. I'd probably want to be on a boat. <laughs> I was going to say, you've traveled an awful long way to get that far. So I'd, I'd definitely think twice about it. Take me out to fish for some halibut on the water somewhere <laughs> where I'm a little bit away from the shore. I'll feel a little safer. I'm just, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, let's Let's transition away from bears here for a little bit anyway. Uh, okay. So you get your, you get your camera, right? You have, what is the name of the pack that you have on your chest? Oh, my cotton carrier. Cotton carrier. Okay. Uh, so you have your cotton carrier, you're taking pictures all the time. You're refining your craft. You're getting better and better. How do you make the transition to dogs and dog photography, waterfall photography? So it was, and I, I want, I'm going to stress this point a lot because people trying to get into it, like, my photography journey is very short in comparison to a lot of the people that are professionals that we see in the industry who are a thousand times better than me, but are like in the same realm. And it was because I spent five months that first year taking pictures. I was with people who were light years better photographers than I was. And I was learning, I was asking questions, even though I was the guide, I was always like, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? What are your settings? How are you manipulating this camera to get a picture? And why doesn't mine look like that? So I had that opportunity and then came back from Alaska, still in 2020, and got an opportunity to do some filming with um, Jessica Ann and the Wild Race. So I had started, I had filmed some of her first hunts, um, the turkey season of 2020. And then when I got back from Alaska, we went out west. So we went down to Kansas. We hunted for a couple of days. We went to Idaho and hunted for a few days, all waterfowl. And that was like my first like real getting paid to take pictures and film. 
looking back at it now, obviously, like I would love to do things differently and have those moments back. But it gave me the opportunity to get linked up with that outfitter down in Kansas. We met, we became friends, and he invited me back down for a couple days in January of that year. So now 21. And I just expected to go shoot pictures for the weekend and kind of hang out. And he asked me if I wanted to stay till the end of waterfall season down there. So now what was supposed to be a weekend became a month and a half of shooting and guiding every day. So, you know, working with the guides dogs and obviously with waterfall hunting, like the dogs are so stationary most of the time. So you get a lot of time to play with it. And my background in bears, which are also dark animals in badly lit conditions and very like awkward positioning and like very on the fly need to get your stuff together to be able to take decent pictures of those. Like it just translated so well. So I came off of five months of Alaska and then went into almost two months of waterfowl hunting and really was able to jumpstart that. And then the following season, after I got back from Alaska, I went down to Kansas from Thanksgiving until mid-February and guided and shot photos for the whole season down there. And that really was able to like kickstart everything. And then that's you know, just that consistency was really what gave me where I am today. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. It, you, you know, you said you bought your first camera in 2019 and four years later, you're doing it professionally. Like that's, that is like a really compressed time frame. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it really just truly blessed to be able to, be where I am. Um, and a lot of it just became a lot of sacrifice and opportunity that was able to put me in that position. You know, I've basically been on the road since this, since I went to Alaska in 2020, you know, I've been home where I'm sitting now. This is the first time I've been home since March. The time before that was deer season and, you know, like gun deer season. So it's, on the road constantly shooting and constantly like asking questions and finding people who are smarter than i am to go why doesn't this work or how do you do this or what am i doing wrong here or tell me why this picture sucks i can't put my finger on it but like explain it to me and let a lot of people ridicule my work and just kept going why am i not better and then eventually all of a sudden you just get better I, uh, I commend you for your drive. Like there's like, like there's a, there's a hunger and a drive to get better there. That's that I don't, I don't think everybody possesses that. Um, and I think that's an amazing quality. Do you have any mentors, like specific mentors, like one or two or three that you're going to and constantly asking for feedback on or feedback from, I should say. Yeah. I mean, it's, and a lot of it just changes like where, what we're doing, who we are, you know, I worked for a production company last year. Um, and spent, I think I signed on with them last April and then I left them in January. So that was my opportunity to, and how I met a lot of the people that I'm working with now. Um, but being able to get people who have been in the industry for a long time and seeing that and going, okay, you're here. 
I now work for you and I'm down here. Like, how do I fast track that to at least justify you sending me in the field so that the product that I'm putting out is worth your name? So those guys help me out a lot. Um, and then it's just people that are, honestly, a lot of it's through social media, guys that I really like their work. Um, and I just send them stuff constantly. And I'm like, hey, what do you think? Is this okay? And a lot of it now is video. Um, but just like, what do you think of this edit? What can I do better? How can I color this so it looks better? How can I make it more interesting for the viewer? And how can I tell a little bit better story? Awesome. Like that's, that's, that's super cool. So you signed on with that production company in April of last year. Is that mm -hmm. when you went full time into it? Yeah. So that was the first year that I had like officially quit guiding, um, which had been the first year since 2013 that I hadn't guided at all. Um, and I, I guided a couple of duck hunts, but doesn't matter. Um, but that was like, I needed to take one or the other seriously. Like, do I continue to grow myself and my videography and photography, or do I go have fun and guide in Alaska and come back? And then, you know, I was scrambling in the fall other than true Kansas outdoors, the outfitter I've been working with down there. But I was just like, where do I bridge the gap of like, I am this or I am this. Um, so I took that opportunity to work with that production company and I had met them because I went to a editing school that they put on um, down in Georgia. And then a couple of months later, they had approached me and asked if I would come to work for them. That's cool. That's awesome. <clears throat> so uh, I could ask a million questions here. That's uh, a lot there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very complex story of a lot of it's it's fa it's fascinating though. Like I I find it I personally find it fascinating. Like I think it's very fascinating. Um, okay, which direction do I want to go here? So so the you mentioned being on the road, right? I don't think mm -hmm. when I think of you know professional photographer, I don't always think of that. So you're you're on the road fifty weeks a year. Is that about what it is? Yeah, yeah. I mean that would be a a safe number. Do you, I, are you sleeping in hotels, tents? Yeah, go ahead. Go, this is go, where ahead, I go was ahead. going next was your Instagram story. So your rig is pretty sweet. How long have you had that set up? And you want to talk about how you ended up doing that? <laughs> is that a Suburban? Is that a Tahoe? What, what do you have so there? It's, it's a Yukon XL, old 2003. Okay. Real super classy. It's a Denali. So we've got leather, you know, real high end. Um, ironically, miles. uh, the body has 300,000, the motor's got like 75. So, <laughs> and tell me you have a nickname for it. No, I know I was never into that. Uh, <laughs> a rig that epic, I feel like it's got it deserves a nickname. We gotta, we gotta yeah. think of one for you. Maybe, maybe that'll be the next abduct poll. We'll figure out what the viewers want to name it. <laughs> there we go. We I go. like that. There we go. Send us a picture. We'll get it. We'll get it. Go we'll get it going. Yep. Yeah. I'll send it a picture after I finish packing tonight because I'm about 90% done, but I've still got a ton of stuff to pack up before I leave tomorrow. But so you asked where I got that and how I got that, which is, this is yeah. kind of funny. 
Um, we were elk hunting last year. We had been, we had filmed in like three or four states. We were in Montana. We were going out to Utah and we were going to the same property, but that's a quarter million acre property. So like the gates were locked in between where they were going and where I was going. So I drove to Billings from elk camp in Montana. I was looking on Craigslist. I bought a truck, drove back to elk camp, picked it up that day, and then I drove it to Utah. And then a week later, I drove it back to Montana. And this is a, you know, 20 year old truck, pile of, you know, pile of still running and going, but definitely has some quirks. And then, like, my intent was that I would just like get something else or, you know, eventually would change it up. But, we were driving back and forth so much out West and they were like 16, 18 hour trips. And I was sick of like sleeping in my front seat and I'm too cheap to buy a hotel room for a couple hours. So I tore all the seats out and then I built the platform. I found a old mattress that had memory foam. I cut that memory foam off, folded it up. And like, that's the mattress that I had. And all the lumber was just lumber that I had from when I used to run a construction company. So I had all the materials and everything and it was supposed to just be temporary. And then it turned into now I live in my truck. <laughs> I like the racks and the storage in there. It seems uh, efficient. Yeah. You spend a couple of weeks like staring at something and you're like, man, so like the back window on the passenger side, I was like, ah, this, it's just like there's so much space there and it's so so dumb to not use it so i built a little shelf system and like now that's my closet and today i tore the sleeping platform apart and i had like cubbies underneath it and that was kind of just my like store pelican cases or like tote baskets and today i tore it all out and now it's just like a big long plano toolbox type thing that i can just it's on wheels so i can just slide it out if i need something and i'll just sit there, stare at it and go, ah, I think I can make that a little bit better. Or I think I can fit a little bit more shit in this truck. <laughs> That's awesome. I was going to ask this question at the end, but I feel like this is like the perfect time since you're living in your truck, you have to have, how many times has a police officer or a warden or somebody come up and knocked on your window while you're in there sleeping? It's got to happen all the time, right? Has not happened Never. once, knock on wood. Now it's going to happen really? every time I oh, no. Now I jinxed it. <laughs> I'm, I'm knocking for you. <laughs> oh, man, I figured you had to have some stories with that, people knocking and saying, like, are you okay? Like, what's going on in there? Well, the nice thing is it's not like a big camper or you see all these pickups with their rooftop tents and, like, the tents flipped out. Before I put the cases and now I have a quack rack on the back, like, it just looked like a Yukon. Yeah. So... It just, it was just a truck, you know, mm -hmm. even to the point, like my girlfriend came and visited me in Montana this summer and we went to Yellowstone. We stopped in Bozeman for a night before we drove up there. Cause we went to Palisade falls and came back to Bozeman and we slept in a Walmart parking lot together in my truck and like, no problem. Drove to Yellowstone, like all that stuff. And we get done with the trip and she goes, you know, I've never been camping before. And I was like, this is your first experience camping, staying in my 20 year old truck in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> nice. Uh, no, I've, I've honestly never had anything goofy happen. I thought it was going to happen a lot more. Yeah. 
you know, I slept with a handgun tucked between my bed and the window forever. And eventually I was just like, ah, we're fine. That's wild. <laughs> That's cool. I didn't, I, Matt, that good, good, good call out there. Cause I actually hadn't seen your story today, Keegan. I went and looked at it while you were talking there. Hmm. Yeah, I've been trying to do little updates as I've been packing and refitting stuff because people keep asking me for like a, a truck tour all the time. But I just get caught up in something here or something there. And so try and update the few people that want to know that once in a while. Do you have anything for like power? Do you have like a solar panel or anything for charging all your electronics or how do you handle that? Yeah, so I um, I didn't until this summer. Um, I was going out west to film a hunt in South Dakota, and my buddy at Shields had told me that the Goal Zero stuff was like on super sale. So I picked up a like the cheapest Goal Zero. It's like a 200 watt, which is way too small if anybody ever asks. But and then I had picked up a 50 watt panel, and I was kind of messing around with it mm-hmm. in South Dakota, and then I got the call to go up to Montana on kind of a whim. And I filmed on a ranch and I, that 200 watt wasn't keeping up. So I bought a 100 watt panel. So I have 150 watts of solar that will keep up enough with that little inverter. Um, and mm-hmm. then I've got like a 1600 watt inverter on order that I'm hoping is in Montana by the time I get to Montana. But uh, we'll see. Awesome. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, that is awesome. Okay. Um, uh, how do we how do we get this conversation over to yeah, dogs a little bit here? Bring it back in. Let's talk about fun. <laughs> bring, let's bring, talk about no. This is this is fun. Okay. Um, all right. So you you became 100 full time last year. Did you have a lot of dog gigs at that point in time? Like a, a lot of waterfowl hunts to film as part of that, or was it all uh, over the board? Honestly, when I went full time, and it was the reason that I left full time is because it wasn't enough waterfowl hunting. So I had spent, you know, two seasons, basically that was all I did. Um, as I was, you know, I'll qualify anybody that gets paid to take pictures of professional, they can judge their level of professional from there. But like I was getting paid to take pictures for two seasons of just dogs, just waterfowl hunting and just like what I was in love with. So it was great. And then I took this gig with the production company and it transitioned to whitetail hunting and elk and mule deer. And like, I knew the big game stuff, like the elk, mule deer, antelope, that was something I really wanted to do, which is why it was worth it for me to go full time and not go back up to Alaska. But I didn't realize it was going to be that much. So I had left them or I'd left Georgia where our office was middle of August. And I did not get back until middle of January. And I duck hunted two weeks of that. You know, like I had two weeks off during that whole six month span. And that was when I got back down there and I was like, you know what? I'm, I want to get back to it. And then I literally left or I quit, put my resignation in and went on a snow goose hunt and got back into, back into the swing of things. And that, you know, caught the tail end of, waterfall season down in arkansas with snow goose hunting now how much what percentage of the time are you actually holding a gun i mean it's got to be very minimal but you know some of the videos that i've seen 
as soon as everybody gets their limit, they hand their gun to the photographer and then he can shoot his limit of birds. I mean, how, what percentage of time do you say you're actually pulling the trigger? Yeah. I mean, it's when I was like guiding, shooting photos, I would pull the gun up a lot more, you know, especially if this sounds bad, but if clients can't shoot or like we've got 10 geese on the ground in a dry field and there's geese coming in, well, the clients are going to shoot these ones. But the geese on the ground, they did it. You know, they right. they deserve it. If my plastic call and my plastic decoys got geese to land and sit there for five minutes, they earned it. <laughs> like I'll put the camera down and whack a couple of them, hundred percent of the time. So you're you're buying licenses for pretty much all the places you're going. Yeah, every every state that I waterfowl hunt, and I'll buy a license, even nice. if I don't pick up a gun. I have a gun with me, and I'm not playing that game. They're federal birds. I'll spend the hundred bucks or 150 bucks or whatever it is just to make sure I'm covered. Even if I only load my gun one time. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it's gotta be a low number then. What do you, would you say like 10% of the time you're probably shooting? I think I fired three shells last season. Three shells. That's it. And how many photos did you take? Thousands. Oh, uh, I, I bought my new computer in October and I looked at it um, in after duck season. I had taken 155,000 photos. So you're just pulling a different kind of trigger a whole lot, but just oh, yeah. not. Hey, man, not I the ones that go bang. everything. It doesn't matter if you miss. I shot it. You did shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's just a different kind of trigger. Yeah. And it's for me, I'm, I'm, I'm really at the point, and, you know, I guided for so long, like I was on all these experiences and grew up doing it so i've caught every fish i've shot every bird you know i'd love to shoot an elk someday but i haven't done that personally but i've shot deer and like now i get to film that i get to tell the story and we could all go sit in a blind together and i'll take pictures and i'll show you moments that you saw but you didn't really see mm -hmm. and for me like that's so much more fun or like the dog you know if we've got two dogs working in a blind and I could take some pictures of them coming back in. It's things that you saw, but you didn't get a chance to look at because there's so much else going on. And now I, we can all look at that story and those memories. And it's so much more special like that to me gets me off more than killing anything else. Right. I mean, actually pulling the trigger is such a small part of the, mm -hmm. you know, the enjoyment of the hunt, the preparation, seeing the birds, watching the dogs. That's, that's the large majority of the fun. Absolutely. And part of it for me, like my background in fly fishing, if you have fly fished or kind of just grasped the concept of it, there's so much that goes into it and you're paying attention to so many different little things, you know, a bug hatching on the water. What kind of bug was that? What color was it? What size was it? And now I took that into photography and like my brain is in that all the time now. So I'm watching all these little things that make the whole picture. And it doesn't matter if you hunt or not. You can look at a picture of a dog doing what it loves and you can understand what that moment is. And then maybe those people that don't hunt, they can understand why we do it and why we love it so much more. That's well said. Just, yeah, for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I always say, I, I always say that like <clears throat> the actual, like pulling the trigger or like the killing of the animal, that's like the worst part of hunting for me. It's everything else that I enjoy. For sure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just, it's, it is. Cause you're taking, I mean, 
or maybe I'm a little bit of a softy, but like I'm conscious of the fact that I'm actually taking a life. Mm-hmm. So, and um, you should be. Yeah, there's nothing soft about that. That's yeah. exactly what we're doing, and we're you know, especially waterfowl hunting or bird upland bird hunting in general. I mean, that's the prettiest thing that I'll ever see in my life. Mm-hmm. And I just took it from its flyway so it can go live its happy life, and now it's in the fry pan, and that's great. But mm-hmm. like, appreciate that moment for such right. a such a cool animal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, the the moment that you lose the respect for the animal like that, you should probably just stop hunting. Really. Yeah. And it's it's something that I try and especially waterfall hunting. Like, there are so many waterfall photographers. There's so many water and dog like upland stuff isn't as big, but kind of the same concept because it's a lot easier to get into that as a photography videography standpoint than it is like filming whitetail deer. You know, you only get so many opportunities to actually harvest a deer. But like I try and hammer people to the point where like some people don't like it, but I'm like, look what you're doing. Look how you're portraying these birds. Look how you're portraying that hunt. Make sure that it's portrayed in the way that you respect those animals and not so somebody else looks at it and goes, oh, that's just a pile of birds laying on the bow of a boat all soggy because they were sloshing around in the water. Like, maybe don't take that picture. Maybe wait till the birds dry out and they're pretty again. And you show how much appreciation you have for those moments. That's that's such a cool perspective for sure. Yeah, just respect. Mm Mm-hmm. Respect. That's what it is. So, um, okay. How much, uh, like how much, how much waterfowl hunting do you have booked on the calendar for this upcoming hunting season? Cause you're leaving soon and you're not coming back till when? Uh, I'm going to hope to be back here for gun deer season. I'm not going to hold my breath. I have to move some things around to maybe make it happen. But, um, I know for sure I'll be down South in Arkansas for a good bit of December, probably all of January, most of February snow goose hunting. And then March, I have three photography workshops that are all duck oriented that I'm putting on down in Arkansas still. So I'll finally be back and like, let's go shoot some ducks mode. Awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. What um okay. Let's talk let's talk a little bit about people that want us that want us <laughs> It's a lot to guest. There like they, we could I could probably ask you questions until midnight, but we know that that's not going to happen here. We try to keep this to like roughly an hour or so. So um let's let's transition to like so you're putting on you're putting on some classes some workshops mm-hmm. right for are these for amateur photographers or upcoming That's professional photographers all levels it doesn't matter if you've only ever picked up an iphone or you do this for a living it's okay. i call it a photography workshop but it's an opportunity for people to get into areas that they don't have opportunities to get into so it's down in arkansas um, it's right off the Cache River, which is one of the like really premier waterfall regions of Arkansas. And it's not as talked about, but if you're in Arkansas and you say the Cache River, everybody loses their mind about it. 
and or tells you 900 stories like the birds are there when i was there snow goose hunting last year it was unbelievable watching ducks fly around and you're just like oh we're gonna go shoot some snow geese because there's 50,000 ducks flying around and it wasn't that many but it felt like it so we're gonna go there and i'm gonna treat it just like a duck hunt we're gonna go out in the morning you know we're gonna sit in the blinds we're gonna take pictures and it's talking about how you take pictures of ducks, how you take pictures of dogs, how you tell the story and everything that like I do when it's actually duck season in the field. Or a lot of these people, some of them just shoot pictures of ducks. So now I've given them the opportunity to go somewhere that has them that's all set up that may not be somewhere that they are. You know, March in Wisconsin is March in Wisconsin, March in Arkansas. We're driving boats around. We're sitting in a blind. We're not necessarily freezing. It, I say that now we're going to freeze, but like it's just an opportunity to go somewhere different in a time of year that we don't have that. And now maybe I can teach somebody a couple things about photography or videography, but ultimately it's just giving them a different experience and an opportunity that they don't normally have. No, that's, that's awesome. I think, uh, that, that that's a nice segue into let's talk about like tips for amateur photographers here too so right so i i have not i don't even know where this camera is but i have a d nikon d3300 right mm-hmm. um matt's got you've got a couple of cameras matt yeah d3300 and a d800, d800 that was okay. gifted to us and we don't use it nearly enough for how yeah, good you of a should camera use that is. more yeah yeah definitely um, I guess if so, kind of what Tyler was getting at. So, like the tips for an amateur, and obviously, I mean, the biggest thing I'd say I struggle with as a super amateur photographer is the settings, right? Mm-hmm. So, anybody can pick it up, switch it to auto, and take really good pictures. And that's what I end up doing because let's say I bring it in the boat and I always forget to use it because I'm more worried about handling the dog and I'm hunting by myself. But, you know, working through those settings, you kind of talk to it to it about Alaska, like asking people and, and just working through it. I'm assuming your answer is going to be just get the camera out and start going through the settings and figuring it out. Is that what you would uh, suggest the most? Well, also YouTube videos, what's your suggestion for, uh, you know, getting used to fly into those settings like you see a photographer do? Ultimately, it's the same thing as like learning how to train a dog. The more that you do it and the more that you watch and the more that you learn about it, the better you get, right? So like when I picked up my first camera and I'm playing around, I consumed every single piece of information that I could. YouTube videos, that was all I watched for two or three years was just photography, podcasts, that's all I listened to. I went on social media and I found people whose pictures I liked. And if they had a YouTube channel, I copied all their settings. Even if I didn't know what the hell that meant, I just yeah. did everything that the people who I liked, that I listened to, that had some information, like what they could do. And like, that's all fine and dandy. The next step is going, why when I turn this dial, does it do this or that? And like now today's day and age with mirrorless cameras, you know, the DSLR, the D800, D3300, when you look at the viewfinder, you're looking at a mirror. So you're seeing exactly what is happening. Now with the mirrorless cameras, you're getting that screen 
and it's showing you every time that you change a setting what that picture will look like and that's mm -hmm. awesome it's such a quick like fast track but if you step back and into those dslrs and you learn what your exposure meter is doing you understand how the camera focuses and you understand how you manipulate that like if i could tell a thousand people how to take pictures i would start them all on a dslr i would say learn the exposure triangle your aperture yep. your shutter speed your iso and then understand how that relays and then go grab a new today camera and take pictures because the technology has leapt so far interesting what would you say for uh your average doesn't own any nikon cameras has an iphone in their pocket and goes out on a waterfall hunt or an upland hunt with you know some friends or a dog uh suggestions there uh as far as taking a good picture of their dog coming back or you know as they're sitting there in the blind so a couple things that can make an iphone picture look really cool are framing so the dog and the dog blind and all of a sudden like you know when you look out the you're in a say you're in a panel blind right and your dog blind sitting here and it's kind of like set back a little bit so you can see the dog if you take that picture and you've got like the side of the panel blind in the picture and now your eye is like just focused on the dog but you've got a little bit of foreground like that inherently becomes a more interesting picture because it forces your eye to look at that so framing you can look at there's a thing called the rule of thirds and it splits, you see it in the viewfinder of a lot of cameras and you can select it on the iPhone. If that, like hmm. the dog's eye is on one of those lines of the rule of thirds, that rectangle, the picture inherently, you don't know why, it, like most people when they look at it, they don't know why it's so much more of an interesting photo. They don't know why their, their eye goes directly to that. But like little things like utilizing that can go framing and rule of thirds can go an incredibly long ways into immediately making better pictures without doing anything different. Yeah. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm processing right now. It's hence the silence. <laughs> it's a lot to process that behind, you know, an hour of me rambling about my life. It's, it's a lot of stuff. It's good. This is this is awesome. Okay, yeah. rule of thirds. I've mm -hmm. I've I've heard that before. I think I have that setting on my iPhone set up. Yeah. What like for someone that's never heard of four? Can you define it? So, the the best way that I've found is like you look at an Instagram picture, right? You know, it's your whole. So like when you look at that, and you can find this in a few of. I wish I would have thought about it earlier i had to pull it up like a couple of the pictures so that top third if the dog's eyes or people's eyes are on that top third now that picture inherently becomes more of like immediately you're seeing that so like if you scroll through instagram and you see anything on that top third it becomes a little bit more dramatic you instantly lock on that and you look at it and go okay this is a little bit more serious. Now I can play with that picture and I can put the subject on that bottom third. And now that scene becomes a little bit more dramatic because there's a lot more like sky above it. There's a lot more background. Um, you know, sometimes the sun 
and things like that. And then when you shift it along either the top third or the bottom third, and you move it to those left and right thirds, now you start to change where your eye instantly is looking. So if it's, the, say it's the top left third, your, when, as soon as you open that picture or look at that picture, you're instantly, your eyes go to that. And now if you put in framing and where that side of that panel blind is over here, kind of on the edge of the frame, your eyes even go farther to just automatically do it. So that rule of thirds really is just people naturally see things in thirds. And as a photographer, as a videographer, you see it in movies constantly. And if you look for it, you'll see it even more. Like I can't watch movies because I just pay attention to it and it's distracting and it's annoying. But like the way that you can manipulate somebody's view of a picture and the feelings of somebody's picture just by using what they're seeing and something simple like that all of a sudden takes an amateur photographer to a professional level in a hot minute. Hmm. And I understand that was also a hell of a lot of information in a very short time frame. I'm, I'm, I'm looking back at pictures on my phone right now, thinking about the rule of thirds now. I don't know if any, I don't yeah. matter, Jeff, I don't know if you guys scroll. I was looking at last year's homing photos and then I was on his Instagram doing this, the exact same thing. Well, I was I was looking at my own pictures actually. Like, okay, where is that? Why is this picture good or not good? Um, yeah, that's an. I can't believe I took that. That's an epic picture with an iPhone. Um, and I'm looking at like yeah, and it's yeah. go ahead. Sorry. I, uh, like for example, like I just opened opened my Instagram and went to my profile. Like most of those pictures and like the videos that pop up. Like you'll see dogs' eyes or people's eyes, and they're all like right on that rule of thirds. And it's mm -hmm. it's either that or they're exceptionally centered. There's no in between. And it makes those pictures look much better than what they actually are. But if you just look at the grid, for example, you see the first like nine row nine pictures or and videos, they're all start like that. And now that inherently makes you want to go, what is that? Or it makes it more interesting. And it just, I don't know exactly like the science behind it. I don't remember when four years ago when somebody taught me the science of it and I listened to it, but it's always something that I've kept so like in the back of my head that now like when I edit pictures or video, it's all I do. It's how I shoot. It's how mm -hmm. I focus things. Yeah. I mean, that. Yeah. That yeah. picture of cash snow goose hunting, like that's exactly what it is. And now that becomes because it's at that top rule of thirds and it's centered, it's more of a dramatic picture. It is more serious. Where if that dog's eye was to the side or to the bottom, it would be a little bit less serious. You wouldn't feel that like commanding authority that cash has. Dang. He does have a commanding authority. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hell of Man. a dog. I want I literally watched that dog 400 yard blind retrieve on a snow goose. Hello. And that's that's not a special I mean, he's a great dog, but that's not like some grand champion dog. That's not like some crazy like lineage. 
That's just a damn good duck dog. That's awesome. So, all right. So tips, rule of thirds, framing. Any anything, any other hot tips? Anything else that should could make my mind start to be any more scrambled than it already is? <laughs> oh, how much farther down the rabbit hole do you want to go? He's gonna be staring at photos all night long, just evaluating know, right? where his eyes go when he looks at it. <laughs> when I walk after this, I'm gonna be looking at my phone as I'm walking, probably trip over something. <laughs> Sorry for wrecking your life now. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, like little things when you're utilizing the camera, um, you can select the focus modes. It's the same as like your iPhone and you actually, you click where it focuses. So mm -hmm. instead of it, the camera just automatically picking where it is, you can select that into like dynamic focus or spot focus. And then, you know, in camera with the little joystick, you can select where it's going to be focusing. Like I typically will select that and on Nikon's back button focus is pretty easy to set. Sony it is too. Um, back button focus is huge where otherwise it focuses on your shutter. And that mm -hmm. screws people up because every time you try and take a picture, the camera wants to focus. If it's back button focus, the shutter, you can fire away and it can be unfocused, it can be focused, doesn't matter. But I'll utilize that back focus with a spot focus or dynamic um, typically if the dog's running at me, I try and use dynamic focus because it's a little bit faster than spot focus. Um, but if the dog say it's sitting in its dog blind and oftentimes I go lay down behind or in front of the everything, like if the birds aren't flying, I'll just lay down with my lens and I'll, or camera and just shoot pictures of the dog. Cause that's what makes me happy during that. And I'm using that spot focus. I get it set on its eye. And then I frame where I want or where I feel like that dog's looking. You know, if the dog's looking left, I try and make sure that the dog's eye is on the shallow side of the frame and then more of its snout is like where it's looking, if that makes sense. I think, I think um, so. I think I'm fine. So if like, say the dog's looking left and you're like, the shallow side of the frame where less of the dog's head is, and it's looking this way, it feels better than if the dog was looking left and the shallow side of its head was, the shallow side of the picture was this way and you had more picture this way. Yeah. Does that make sense now? It. Yeah, I think I got it, yes, mm -hmm. yes. A lot of those things, and that goes to framing and rule of thirds too, you know, more so, so much ties into that, it's disgusting. But a lot of those things are just things that make you feel like the picture isn't good enough or there's something missing. It's those things that like you naturally see because you wouldn't see that in nature. When you look at a uh, duck flying, you know, you're seeing it over here and, but you're looking at the picture this way. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like it's going this way and you're looking in front of it. You're not looking behind it. So if you take that picture and that duck's flying, and all the skies over here, but the ducks flying this way out of frame, it just doesn't feel right. It can still be a great picture, but it, there's there's something missing. Yeah, that's right. fascinating. It is. Now, you talked about photographing dogs, waterfowl dogs, mostly duck dogs. Mm -hmm. I got to imagine when you get into the upland field and you have a pointer or a dog that's just got a 
high drive. I mean, it's it's got to be a shit show, right? Trying to get good photos in a situation like that. The hardest part is what we're hunting in. So, you know, up when everything's so much, I mean, you, you, up on cover. you watch yeah. the dog and you see it for like 40% of the time. Right. And you see it for a split second. Now try and take a picture in that split second. Yeah. Have your focus right. Have it framed right. Have it like even pointed at the freaking thing. Like <laughs> it's a mess. It's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For video on that is so much easier because you like you can follow the dog and then you can just cut out the section of the video that like, Oh, look, the dog popped up or you saw its tail, but you take that picture. You only, you have an instant mm -hmm. The video. Like you can kind of weasel your way into that stuff and make it inherently a little bit more interesting. It's the same with like pheasant hunting, you know, filming a pheasant hunt is so much easier than photographing a pheasant hunt because the bird explodes. Uh, I don't care if we're on a game farm and you know where the damn thing is, or if it's a completely wild bird, it blows up. You know, either the hunter shoots it right away and it's, I don't have it in focus or it flies off and it was beautiful. Everything was framed great and exposed great. And it's, it's a freaking mess. I love upland hunting and I love shooting it as a photographer because it's so much of a challenge. Challenging. Yeah. But God bless, am I frustrated the entire time? <laughs> I mean, you almost got to focus more on the hunter than the dog, really. I mean, that's that's got to be the easier route to take, right? Oh, and it 100% would be, but no offense to you guys. If I go on a hunt with you, the three of you, I care more about that damn dog. Than yeah, <laughs> you want to take pictures of us. <laughs> I can take plenty of cool pictures of you guys walking in an instant. Yeah. Like, y'all are going to be slow. That thing's going... <laughs> A million miles an hour but i try and like i have a buddy down in kansas that if i have a upland shoot that i need to do like i shot some stuff for shields last year i called him and i'm like hey man i want you and the dog like we're gonna go on a hunt but like we're gonna really it's not gonna be a good hunt because i want to take the time to get some pictures and some video of the dog and you like in the background so like setting that stuff up and with a pointer it's not so bad you know that dog goes on point and if it's a halfway decent dog, it ain't moving for nothing. So I can work around. I can clear some grass and do some of those like tricks of the trade where I can get a better photograph. But like just a flusher, like a lab on a pheasant hunt, it's a damn nightmare. <laughs> and it's super fun, but it's you leave it and you're like, oh, my God, what did I just do for three days? <laughs> no no wonder you no, said no. yeah no wonder you said no to coming with us this year well you happen to pick like the one week that i already had something booked <laughs> no maybe good. we can set up a nice field waterfall hunt for you if you're in the area at some point <laughs> yeah. we can probably do that too i i would really like to link up with you guys at some point this fall um you know and just figure something out i think that would be super fun to get to come come out on a hunt with y'all yeah, for sure. I would. I got a, I got a couple of fields this this fall that we can we can use. So maybe we can make something happen. Yeah, I mean it's like I'll complain about upland hunting, but like it by far is my favorite just because of the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a duck hunter through and through, but I grew up grouse hunting in northern Wisconsin. You know, I grouse hunted in Alaska a bunch when I was up there. It just there's something about upland birds that are 
the challenge, the difficulty, and the inherent suck just drives me to want to do it more. <laughs> oh, that's great. There's something about experiencing a little bit of pain, you know, that makes it makes everything worthwhile at the end. Makes it a little bit more makes it a little sweet. So um, okay. We've been recording here for almost an hour. I think I think we should start to wrap things up, boys. Um, and the way we the way we wrap our shows up now, Keegan, is we do what we call sky blasting, where we're gonna just fire off some questions to you. Um, we may have like two, we may have like 20. We're not really sure. Um, we don't we don't tell each other what we're gonna ask. We just show up and start, you know, asking just like just like that goose that you know you've already fired two shots at and is flying away, and the third shot has no chance, but you just let it fly anyway. So um let's hear all those 80 yarders that's right that's right so um okay matt jeff you guys want to go first you want me to rip into it i can go all right all right so my first question is who is the ceo of toasty keisters can you tell me about this person oh hey there here we go (laughs) how you doing today there all right, so so who is this? Tell what is his name? So you know, it's the old Buck Easterman here, just having a good time on the Upduck podcast. That's great. <laughs> All right, now now what is the Toasty Keisters part? You, explain to us a little bit about that. So it's this old company called Hyperheat. You know, it's a heated seat pad. It's about yay big. Plugs into a little battery. Sits there, toast your keister, no matter what. If you're deer hunting, you're duck hunting, you're walking through the pheasant woods, you just put that in your old hand muff, toast your little hands up, or it around, toast your keister too. No worries. No matter what you're doing, sitting in a truck, driving out in the woods, going ice fishing, sitting on your bucket, you know, you're in good shape. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. That's great. Where, where, if you had to say what part of the country, Buck Easterman was from. Where would he be from? Oh, come on now. You know he's from the land of old fashions, big walleyes and shooter deer. The old Wisconsin. Northern Wisconsin. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> all right. That that's all I got. You guys can go from there. Okay. That's great. That was awesome. That was fabulous. Um I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna rip one off here. Uh so how much Sitka gear do you own, Keegan? Oh, I don't. I don't know if we have enough time left on this podcast to talk about that. I think uh, if you went back into the 2021 catalog, I probably got that. Just the whole, <laughs> Just the whole catalog. catalog. <laughs> well, the problem is, is I go from duck hunting to elk hunting to turkey hunting, back to duck hunting. Now we're in the timber, so you got to buy the dark stuff, and then all of a sudden I'm up freaking doing whatever and and then i started buying it for alaska so i've got different stuff here and now jesus it's it's gross and i i actually took i was packing today and i left some pieces out that i know i'm not going to need until like november and that hurt me a little bit but it was like a couple pairs of pants a few jackets like two gradient sweatpants because i love those to death like it's bad old buck easterman big fan of the sick gear yeah, and I, I asked that question because you're wearing a Shields t-shirt tonight, and I believe this is the first time I've ever seen you, either in person or on video, not wearing Sitka. 
Well, you know, I uh, shook it up a little bit. Good thing Shields sells Sitka. <laughs> that's, that's fair. They also, hey, did you see they're selling First Light in Appleton now? Are they? I just saw that on Instagram today. The Appleton yeah. Shields Outdoors page posted something about First Light. Okay. Well, that's great. Right. That is cool. That's exciting. That I is. just got I just got the Long Johns in last week. I was talking about it forever, but I finally bought the zip-off Long Johns from First Light. They're nice. Let me know how They're they are. Nice. Yeah. I've been eyeing them up real bad. Yeah. Yeah, I will for sure. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Matt, you got any? Should I just keep it going here? I got a couple. Oh, my uh, my usual is what I mean, you've hunted and fished for a while. What's your favorite mount you have at your house? Well, uh, that's the only deer I've got. That's the first deer I ever shot when I was 16. First Just hanging out on the couch there, huh? <laughs> well, you know, it's really hard to mount it in the old Yukon, so. <laughs> <laughs> He's just chilling on the couch watching TV. Yeah, but I've got a couple of brook trout in my childhood bedroom that we caught up in Canada, my dad and I. Oh, sun going down, we doubled up on some super stud brook trout they're both like 19 20 inches and they're all colored up and pretty so like that one will always be the favorite sure well what's your current camera brand of choice sound like you were nikon but you were mentioned mirrorless so did you go sony here recently or so i film i film on nikons i have three nikon bodies a d850 a z6 and a z72 and then all of my film stuff for TV or Instagram or whatever it is, is on a Sony FX3. Sure. And uh, what's your favorite brand shoot you've done so far? Um, I mean, you could call it the big brand, the crush, you know, that's with Lee and Tiffany. That one mm-hmm. obviously is encompassing of a lot of things, but if I had to pick one, just like, company was Bergara last year we went up and filmed uh three elk hunts and a mule deer hunt up in northwest montana for a couple of weeks that one was pretty pretty neat awesome all right tyler hmm. of... all right what's the craziest thing you've ever done to get a shot you wanted uh which well you want to talk about climbing up a tree to set a time lapse you want to talk about laying in the mud and all of a sudden the geese came in and i had to lay down while everybody shot over my head or you want to talk about climb on top of waterfall to shoot a bear um by shoot i mean picture by the way wow what i mean those are all three worthy contenders i would say (laughs) very worthy contenders wow okay um that was fantastic. Uh, okay, what is your favorite color of lab to shoot? Reds. Oh man, after oh, man. your heart, Tyler. That is that is. Oh, yeah. Speaking, a, there's just something about that. Like, from a photographer standpoint, they look good if it's sunny. They look good if it's cloudy. If it's bright in the morning, it's wet. They're dry. Like the outfitter that I work with down in Kansas, his father breeds red labs and getting to see those and like i obviously spent a lot of time around penny and their older one ruby and it doesn't matter what it is they always look pretty they always look cool and i'm all about them okay oh man so i'm talking about right there 
All right. I said that without remembering that you had red labs, even though I saw your dog in the background earlier. Come yes. to think about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He he probably got up. Yeah, he did get up. Well, he's sleeping back there. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got the black one too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, she might be the only black lab that I ever own. I say that with probably that's probably a lie, but that's super lie. That is there's no possible way that's true. <laughs> I I am partial to reds. My wife and I've already talked. The next dog is going to be a red. It's the next the next lab we get, whether that's next year or five years from now, will be another red. So, all right. Um, are you uh, team coffee or team energy drinks? Uh, why pick? Ooh, oh, okay. All right. Muffins or muffins or donuts? Neither. Ooh. Okay. What what is the breakfast of choice then? Uh, usually gummy worms. <laughs> okay. All right. These are, I love these questions. You never know what you're, what, quite what you're going to get. Last one. Uh, what is your favorite part of being a professional photographer, videographer? Honestly, it's just showing off the rest of the world. Everybody else that has a life, they have a family, they have kids, they have a legitimate reason why they can't go see that. I like being able to inspire those people to go see it. I like being able to show both people from back home, my parents, my family, my friends, the guy at the end of the bar that I didn't even know knew who I was. I like being able to show them what everything looks like around the world and, you know, give them a little taste of what's outside of their hometown. That's awesome. That's cool. That's a great yeah that's a great that's a great answer to to wrap this thing up finish this thing up here so uh keegan if people want to know who you are if they have questions about photography maybe they want to attend your workshop maybe they just want to follow you on social media how can they get in touch with you yeah wildlife photo media is my social handle across all platforms um if they've got questions about photography please fire them at me i love answering them I want to hear it all. I want to help everybody that I possibly can. It's something that I think that we should always continue to do in this industry is help each other no matter what it is. But yeah, Instagram's obviously the big one. TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, all the things. Threads is always fun. Threads is probably the one if you don't want to know who I am, don't follow that one because that's all my like inner thoughts of <laughs> as they happen on the fly. But excellent well it's good i'm glad you have threads because we i asked this question a few weeks ago and jeff and matt didn't even know what threads was at that point in time we have it it brand new we have it i think we've only made two posts but we have it true i can't get access to it so i posted the first turkey hunt on threads like full turkey hunt guaranteed that's awesome claim to fame that is that's awesome it's out there forever that's right that's right keegan um Seriously, thank you so much for thank hopping on with us. Yeah, I learned a ton. Um, loved hearing your background, your story. I think it's super fascinating. And I could, like I said before, I could ask you questions for hours. Like I was very interested in your story and all the things that you've seen and experienced, essentially living vicariously through you. Love to have you on again. And I hope that sometime Let's soon we can do get it. Up yeah. Amen yeah. to that. To both Amen. of them, even. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Sure. So, Yeah, we'll be in touch. Um, And uh, yeah, thank you again. Safe travels, man. Yeah, appreciate it. I hit the road tomorrow and it'll be a heck of a journey. We wish you the best of luck. 